like show business like no business I know. Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Today we're peeking behind the curtains of a Broadway performance. Kevin Smith Kirkwood is a Broadway actor and Fordham alum who's currently on Broadway in kinky boots. He's here to reveal just what it takes for the show to go on. But first, we're talking with Katherine Pogson. She's the acting director of Fordham's London Dramatic Academy. She'll explain the program and the sometimes unconventional ways to inspire young actors. Hi, Katherine. Good morning. Now, can you tell me about your program? It's a semester program. It's an intense conservatory experience. So it's 14 weeks. The class groups are small. The program curriculum is extremely varied from fencing, period dance, Shakespeare, acting, voice, speech, physical theater, uh, movement, audition technique, and so on and so forth. So now can you tell me what's something we might not know about training to become a working theater performer? I'd say that if it's a wet Wednesday and you've got flu, the cast aren't very good, then it's training you have to fall back on. And in some sense, any training help, but the better the training, the more resilient you're going to be if you're looking at a long-term life in the theater, because theater is a vampire. It can be very dangerous in some ways. It can harm you unless you know how to handle yourself. So more training, the more skills you have, the more you have to fall back on when it's a bad day in rehearsal. And I have to ask you that, Catherine. You said it could be dangerous. How can it be dangerous? Well, because the instrument that you're working with as an actor, you don't have a violin or a cello or a paintbrush. The instrument that you're working with is yourself. So your inner life comes into being, your imagination. And if these things that which your own person are used badly, then it can be damaging to you, the person. And it's very easy for a pianist to play a piano badly and damage the piano and it's the same for an actor to misuse their own instrument hence we have Alexander classes to realign the body after you've been contorting into some character who has a completely different physicality and that can be the same emotionally and vocally as well. Now when you mean emotionally I've heard of actors who get so into a character that you literally have to call them by that character's name and they say that takes you to a whole emotional level as an actor. Is that what you're talking about when you're saying you could possibly be hurt emotionally. When the imagination comes into play and you're dealing with the emotional world of other characters in plays, you have to be involved with that. You have to bring yourself to the table. You, it's difficult to put your walk, somebody else's walk, without putting your imagination there. And that automatically engages your feelings, your emotions. And you know, that can be quite dangerous. You have to have a secure sense of yourself and when you're working and when you are not working and experiences in your life that are ready to be used. So I would say that a major experience in your own life isn't something that you should really take to the stage because you can't control it. It starts to control you. For instance, the story is of Daniel Daly-Lewis getting very involved with his own father's demise for playing Hamlet. He wasn't able to control that. And all actors learn by that experience of when something is usable and when perhaps it's a little too raw. We're only human. Does the Fordham London Drama Academy have a particular method of acting? 
No, I would say the staff here, the faculty here, are all professional working people employed in the theatre. For myself, who I, I'm also the core acting teacher, but because I've been working as an actress for 30 years, I've accumulated a number of fruits for the cornucopia. Catherine, does the Fordham London Drama Academy have a course that deals in any way with classical theatre? Yes, there is regular classes twice a week in Shakespeare, where an exploration of classical acting, though I believe there's just acting, and you use those tools in all the different forms, but we believe that if you can unlock Shakespeare and come to terms with the Shakespearean text and acting Shakespeare, then you can apply that to any text. And Why so is that? Shakespeare can be complicated. He seems to be the consummate playwright and encapsulates so many of the problems of drama that if you can unlock them through Shakespeare using that verse and still bring those characters and their wants and desires to life to tell that sort of storytelling in that sort of manner. And if you can solve it in Shakespeare, you can take it to most tables. So if you learn to do Shakespeare well, then there's a good chance you'll be a good actor. Yeah, if you can do Shakespeare well, you're probably having a good crack at being a decent actor, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, when I think about getting ready for like a live performance, I think about maybe running lines or reading a script, but what else goes into the life of an aspiring theater actor? I think the starting point, the actor has to learn how to take care of their instrument, make sure it's well-tuned. You have to bring your mind to the table in order to analyze texts with rigor. In fact, the program here is all about preparation. It's 14 weeks of solid teaching. We believe in using every bit of teaching time to hand over as many tools as we can possibly give the students so that when they go back to the States, they can apply it to any part in any play. Do you differentiate between actor and actress? There are a lot of female actors who don't want to be called actresses. Do you have a preference there? Is everyone's an actor or? It's really a, a personal preference. We tend to say we're studying acting. If I was an aspiring actor and I step off the plane and my first day there looks like what? You step off the plane, your first day here would be met at the airport by um, our team. They would bring you back, you'd be shown your accommodation. You would come into the centre, which is on High Street Ken, and very beautiful part of London, very central. You'd have orientation, so you'd be taken on informative walks around the area. You'll meet the other people here on the other programs. What's around which, the area, Catherine? I don't mean to cut you off. What's around the area so I can sort of get a picture of it? Science Museum, the Victoria and Albert, the National History Museum, the West End is 15 minutes away, some of the greatest parks in London, Kensington Park Gardens, pretty much everything. We've got one great central location here. <laughs> After I finish this tour of all these magnificent London landmarks, then what's my next step as an actor in this program? The first step is that you'll start class. Half of the group would have been doing movement, which is intense and exhausting. The other half will be studying voice. Those two will then switch over. You will then go into a session of period dance, where you're learning dances right back to the 15th century, followed by stage combat with our fencing teacher. The next day, you'll come in at 9 o'clock. You'll do Shakespeare for two hours, followed by an acting class for two hours. Then you'll be taken on a space place and text class, followed by a master class. What's master's class? What does that mean? It's taught a by... Master class with working professionals in different areas of the theater will come in and talk to the students for an hour or so, and then there'll be oh. a question and answer. So we can have leading actors, casting directors, 
<laughs> who are some of the most famous names we might have heard of here in the States? We had Dame Janet Sussman has been in, Derek Jacoby has been in. And I'm trying to think of the sexy names of the young <laughs> actors that they'll all know that I just go, yeah, whatever. But I do have to back you up. You have fencing classes. Why fencing classes at an acting school? Oh, we have fencing classes because in most Shakespeare plays, the young men will be asked to fence. Oh. And also it gives a tremendous amount of balance and spatial awareness and attack. So it's useful on all sorts of levels. It isn't really just about you learn to fence. There's an awful lot of skills that come with fencing. Now, you said earlier that, you know, me as an aspiring actor here, I take these cultural trips. How do you think these trips help develop an actor? I think anything develops an actor that broadens their experience, that widens their vision, that introduces them to to the world and all its aspects. I think if you're coming to England, then you need to really look at what it means to be English so that you can better understand the psychology that we are. And if you're studying a play and set in London, it's really good to really see the parts of London that aren't necessarily on the tourist trail. Like to, where? Oh, they will be taken down alleyways in the West End, the nooks and crannies of London. They will could be asked to do all sorts of extraordinary things. Uh, take a ballroom dancing class, go and eat at the fish and chip shop. But they're all related back in... Basically, what I'm trying to say is they get taken to places like the Rose Theatre, the Globe Theatre. They get to actually get on the stage and feel what it's like to be on a theatre that was knocking about in the 16th century. You know, it's those sorts of things they get to do. And they're taken around by experts who really know what they're talking about. And I guess the cultural side also is to say, I have stood on this stage. Yes, and I'm, I'm walking down the bank side where Shakespeare's actors walk. It's enlightening for many of them. Catherine, you were saying that, you know, aspiring actors also take classes that hone in on things people just would not normally think of with physical posture and alignment. So what type of classes do these students have to go through? What physical patterns are you trying to pull out of them? It's astonishing what the teachers can observe from the student's body. If we're talking vocally, everybody has different challenges, and the teachers are very good at locating them and offering solutions and working with the students. Keeping in mind that these students are training to become live performers, how is the training process for them versus someone who might want to be an on-screen actor? Or is there a difference? I don't believe there is a difference. And we don't teach to a difference. We teach the art of acting. We give tools to help people take a life in the theatre. And not everybody who comes wants to be an actor. Some people are just interested and have a love of theatre. Many do want to be performers and, and be actors. But actually, this training is good for a human being. Catherine, as an actress yourself, are there any obstacles that you yourself overcame that you see can help students at the Fordham London Drama Academy? Oh, probably so many that <laughs> you probably don't have the time. Catherine, how did you get into acting? Much the same as these students. I fell in love with it at the age of 12, told my parents that that's how it was going to be. For me, there was no option. I was very lucky to get accepted at a very good drama school. And so you never wanted to be a princess or a space cowboy. You just always knew you wanted to be an actress. Yeah, from the age of 12, it was, it was uh, that's how it's going to be, and I still know it. And I'd never been inside a theatre in my life, but I knew I wanted to be a theatre actress, a stage actress. That's just because the rest of it's all been learning about it, and it still is learning about it. And I got lucky, I had some breaks. What did your parents say? Were they happy, or did they say, wait a minute now, we want you to be a you know doctor, lawyer? No, they were very supportive. 
supportive until I overheard them one day um, as I was standing outside my bedroom saying, well, don't you think I wanted to grow out a bit? But it doesn't seem to be happening. <laughs> and then I realised that they'd been very quiet and I felt very supportive, but I was actually still hoping. And then one day they realised that was that was never going to happen, that I was going to do it. So, And that's what we see with a lot of the students. They come in wanting to give it their best shot. And I think the ethos of the programme is give them the tools for it then. We we can never guarantee they're going to be an actor. I wouldn't even dream of telling them whether they're talented or not, because sometimes the business doesn't depend on your talent. It depends on luck and all sorts of things. But give them the tools, then let them get out there and give it their best shot. Do you have a performance that you've done that you're especially proud of? Yes, I have a handful of performances that I'm especially proud of, but I suppose as I'm talking to an American audience, I played Aunt Dan and Lemon at the Public Theatre in New York, and I was the first British actress to receive an Obie Award. And for that, I'm very thankful. Ah. Thank you, America, and I'm also very proud of that. (laughs) Catherine, do you have any words of wisdom for someone who might be thinking about acting, might have that acting bug in them, but might just be teetering the wall of whether or not they should pursue this or maybe they should go into something, you know, their parents like or that's safer? I think if there's anything else in the world you could possibly do and be happy, then do that. If there isn't, if you know or you want to really find out that if being an actor is for you, you have to find that out, then you should follow your bliss. My thanks to Catherine Pogson. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, and now I'm joined by Kevin Smith Kirkwood. We're taking a behind-the-scenes peek at life on stage. Kevin is currently in the Broadway show Kinky Boots. It was written by Harvey Firestein and includes songs by Cyndi Lauper. The show has won six Tonys, including Best Musical and Best Choreography. So good morning, Kevin. It feels like morning. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining me, Kevin. Pleasure. For those who don't know, tell me the story behind the musical Kinky Boots. Kinky Boots is the true story of a shoe factory owner in uh, a town outside of London. The business has been in the family for generations, and all of a sudden the shoe business tanks. In order to save the business, they have to change the product, so he meets a fabulous black drag queen named Lola, and Lola basically convinces him that there's a niche market, and together they become the best of friends. They discover that they have a lot in common that you would never think, and it's about family relationships and fathers and son relationships relationships and overcoming their differences and accepting each other for who you are. And cool shoes. And fabulous shoes (laughs) designed by the amazing Tony Award winning Greg Barnes. And I want to get into the shoes in in a minute. And if we were to literally sneak a peek behind the curtain, maybe 10 minutes before your performance in the Broadway show Kinky Boots, what would we see? Ten minutes before, my trek specifically is one of the angels, so I'm one of the fabulous drag queens of the show. So ten singing, dancing. Before, singing, dancing, all in six-inch heels. Uh, a lot of makeup, a lot of pantyhose. And you put your own belts. makeup on. Absolutely. You do. Every single night. Mm-hmm. The last ten minutes are, is the finishing touches of the makeup and then getting into my wig, and then the show is starting, and then we're running downstairs. We sing off stage in the opening number, and then we're going to get our costume. So that's our ten minutes finish. Finishing the makeup, getting our wigs on, running downstairs, singing in the opening number, and then downstairs into the rest of our You costume. mean off stage, meaning you start off stage, then you walk onto stage singing? Meaning the opening number happens, but the angels aren't in the number on stage, but we have to stand off stage and sing in support. 
support the vocals. Ah, okay. Even, so even though the show has started, we're not, we don't come in until the first 15 minutes. That's not really a spoiler. Don't worry. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I want to hear about the makeup. How long does it take you to put it on? You know, it used to be an hour and 15 minutes. Now I've gotten it down to, <laughs> if I'm rushing, I can do it in 35 minutes. Wow. If I'm rushing. But really, I'd like to take 50 to 55 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just to hour. make sure it looks, everything looks perfect. Absolutely. Make sure that your eyebrows are even. You know, we're gluing our eyebrows down and then painting new ones on, contouring everything. I mean, we're trying to make, you know, six foot men, you know, and these look, fabulous, look like fabulous, fabulous drag women. queens. Yeah. Are there any interesting pre-performance rituals that you or any of your fellow actors, or should I say angels, uh, have before stepping on stage? Well, the factory workers all get together before every show on stage and they get together on the factory set and they all put their hands in. It's the tradition they created and they say, one, two, three, oi, 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 shoes. That's sort of like your mantra, your, your warrior call. Exactly. <laughs> it just brings the family in, makes everybody connected. And now we talked a little about the shoes. I want to get into those. I have to ask you about those high heels you wear during your performance mm -hmm. in Kinky Boots. Did you ever imagine that you would be rocking those heels every night? And how long did it take you to get comfortable in them? You know, I must admit, I'm comfortable admitting that as okay. a little boy. I had dabbled in my mother's Okay, so you so, used to pull, you'd walk you know, around it, in mom's shoes? Absolutely. Now, granted, they weren't six inch, <laughs> and it had been some time <laughs> since then. But Because um, you're singing, you're dancing, you're yes. performing. For how long is the show? The, the show is two and a half hours long. We're not in the, the angels are not on stage the whole time. But all two hours so. you're in, in high heels. Mm, we get some breaks in okay. and out. And we change shoes for every number. We have a different pair oh. of shoes. So we're changing in and out of different pairs of shoes. But the way we got used to them is we started rehearsals in three-inch Laduca dance character shoes. Okay. And they're what, you know, even a Rockette would wear. So we worked our way up. And then as the boots were being finished, made, and being brought into our rehearsal process, then we started acclimating ourselves to the higher heels. Ever and break a heel? Been, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm serious. On stage, in the number, the sex is in the heel. I mean, this is the most dance-intense number of the show. And it, the angels basically just come in and do a huge dance break for most of the number. And literally, my heel just snapped. And this is like a four and a half inch heel. Just snapped. What'd and, you do? And literally, I, I, I started panicking and, and I'm whispering to one of the angels, my heel broke, my heel broke. <laughs> and he's like, stay on your toes, girl. Stay on your toes. <laughs> so you to had to like mock like you still had the heel. Absolutely. The show must go on. I, the show must go on. And it did. It did. Uh, another time the show had to go on was when my wig flew off. And if you... <laughs> Please don't make me laugh that hard. Listen, as a, as a drag queen, that is the worst. <laughs> thing that could happen to you. Let alone anybody with you... character, you know, ruins the illusion. <laughs> and I'm bald. You can't see me out there, but I am bald. <laughs> Shaved head. So that's what happened. My microphone... So what happened when it came off? We wear our microphones under our wigs, in our wig caps. The angels do. Right. The whole thing flew off. My wig and the microphone. So I just was shaved head. Did the audience laugh? You know, everybody on stage was laughing <laughs> and trying to hold their laughter and that's who were laughing. It was funny to watch the audience, like, sort of look and then Oh, and then we slowly realize. <laughs> but, you know, at that point, what other choice did I have but to serve it even harder? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I you would... just performed even stronger Absolutely. then? Absolutely. And did you try to do like a dance move and pick it up or you just said forget about no, it? No, I just let it go. <laughs> I let it go. I went on about my business. I had to be fierce after that. So out of all these great shoes and these great clothes you get to wear, do you have a favorite outfit? Yeah, my finale outfit. The last outfit I wear, it's supposed to be a take on the British dandy, but it also looks sort of like a, like a could be a circus ringmaster sort okay. of thing. 
I can picture that. Colors? It's, what colors? Are colors. It's turquoise, orange, purples, and pinks. The boots. This is where I finally wear my six-inch thigh-high boots. Okay. And they are turquoise leather with an orange, it's like pony hair, dyed Ooh. with a leopard print, but Ooh. orange. Just gorgeous. Why do you love it? It's a beautiful piece of art. You know, really, Greg Barnes is amazing. And T.O. Day, who makes the boots, are beautiful. They're crafted for us, for our specifically for our foot, for my ankles, for my thighs. And how often do you get to wear something like that that's custom made? Just for you. I mean, that's that's the beauty of originating a Broadway show. It's a beautiful thing. During your time at Fordham, you were part of the theater group, The Mimes and Murmurs. How do you think the experience performing in college helped you get ready for the big time Broadway? Well, they do say that college theater is sort of a microcosm of the business. I mean, we, we could talk about all the different ways that it is, but being at a school where the theater community, especially on Rose Hill, was such a community. We hung out together a lot. We, you know, worked outside of the, the shows together, and you sort of got to know people over the course of four years, and, you know, Broadway and the regional theater community, and, and the theater community in general is a community. You end up running into the same people. You end up working with the same people over and over again. Also, things I learned about, well, first of all, I got to do a little bit of everything. I got to be behind the scenes, so I got to understand what costume department does and what the makeup department does, what the hair department does. I was usually working in the costumes or makeup department, go figure. If uh, That's why you can put your makeup on now in 15 minutes for for kinky boots, right? It's true. It's true. (laughs) My favorite was designing. I designed the makeup for the fairies in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh. Everyone was different and they, they were just fantastical and colorful and I got to literally create their looks. That was awesome. Sometimes the average audience member, you know, you think about the wardrobe, you think about the shoes, you don't think about makeup as an art, but it is. Having the right makeup, the right look. Absolutely. How did you go about that for the fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream that was here at Fordham? Oh, well, for the fairies, I took inspiration from models and editorial pages of magazines is basically what I did and went for like big color blocks. They needed to have weird shaped eyebrows that were big and dramatic so I blocked out their eyebrows which I now do in the show and um, you know created huge eyebrows and then would give them each different color designs that I just looked in magazines and then got creative on top of that. For Kinky Boots, we have a makeup designer who tells you these are the colors that your character should wear and blah, 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 blah. So you get the creative freedom to put it on how you want to, but you do have colors that you have to sort of adhere to when you're putting your makeup on. Absolutely. Although most of us have been doing the show since the beginning now, so they are a little more lenient. You know, (laughs) we can play a little bit with colors, but we do as far as where you put the makeup and how you put it on and how thick and how heavy. and, And what other groups were you in here at Fordham? I co-founded and conducted the Fordham Glee Club, which is now the Fordham Ramblers. And you said you get to come back and see them sometimes? I do. Yeah. And I actually got to get up on stage and sing with them. They Did me, you? Yeah. They're still doing one of my arrangements. Uh, and uh, yeah, they, they asked me to come up and sing it with them. Kevin, after you graduated from Fordham, what was the hardest part of trying to make it into theater and acting and, and making it out there? Well, my first really big hurdle was really just making up my mind to the idea that that's actually what I was going to do and and actually believing that I could do it. Because right after I graduated, I worked for um, Men's Journal Magazine and I thought, you know, I could do the publishing world. But, you know, I still performed at a lot of cabarets in the city. I just really longed to perform again and be on stage. And when Godspell, the musical, the national tour audition came up, 
One of my friends, a Fordham grad, also said, Kevin, you have to go. We did Godspell here at in the Mimes and Mummers, and I was in it. So he convinced me, and he was like, you know you should, and you know you want to. And I did. I wanted to, and I was just scared. Is that know? what it was? You were Absol- just kind of... Abso- absolutely. What were you scared of, Kevin? A life in the theater <laughs> is not easy, and it's not certain. What do you mean not easy and not certain? There's no specific path to follow that says you go here, you do this, you get this. It's it's sort of a crapshoot in a lot of ways, and it's timing, and it's luck, and it's talent, and preparation, and hard work, and constantly trying to grow, and hanging in there when you're unemployed, and knowing that you're going to get a job at some point, but being okay with not knowing when and having the skills to be able to get a job in between your gigs. Some people graduate from college and get a Broadway show right away. Most people don't. And then a lot of people I'm, who do graduate from college and get a Broadway show right away then have a hard time working after that. So there's no script, and that's that can be scary. I've heard actors say, I had to go after acting and I didn't have a backup plan because if you have a backup plan, then you'll fall back on it. But I've also heard actors say, I always had a backup plan. Um, I just tried this and it seemed like it worked. But I had, if I hadn't become this, I would have been this, this, this or this. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like it would be a bit challenging to figure out when you quit and when you don't. Absolutely. So how did you know not to quit? I've been lucky in that I've had a lot of people that I've met along the way and in my career that have really believed in me and that have really told me that I had something special. And at some point, you have to start believing that. You know, the whole world can tell you that you're great, and if you don't believe it, then it means nothing. And so, you know, I've been lucky to, I don't know, seeing how sometimes you can move people and inspire inspire people people and affect people and affect change and make people laugh and those that those feelings are are really great and fulfilling in a lot of ways and that's the kind of thing that that shows you you know I'm doing something right I'm I'm definitely doing what I'm supposed to be doing Kevin can I ask did it did that come right away like did you make a decision like I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in myself or is it something that with every performance with every day you get a little more encouraged a little more encouraged and then you finally woke up or get to that place where you can say yes I'm good at this I think like I was saying about Godspell is that I went to the the open call and there were over a thousand people there and they had to tell half of us to come back the next day. And I thought, oh, great. I just took a day off work. I have to now lie. <laughs> Start the coughing. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I have to get out of work another day to come back. And I just thought I'll just do it and give it a shot and see what happens. And out of that open call, I made it through several final callbacks and callbacks and months later actually that casting director then sent me to another national tour for Greece and I booked that and he said listen if you get Godspell you leave Greece five months later and go do that and having those kinds of experience I mean that was really encouraging to right think somebody that thinks just, you're good enough not exactly. only to, to hire you for this but say and we've got more work for exactly. you exactly yeah. and and to get it out of all of those people from a random open call I didn't have an agent at the time so it's it's experience Experiences like that, that that give you faith in yourself and your abilities. However, I think it's a constant process of working to remind yourself of that because, hey, there are ups and downs in this business. Nobody rides high the whole time. And so if 
I mean, if you do, good for you. But most people don't. And so it's being able to remind yourself of your talent and your worth and your confidence in the in-between times. Who was the first person you told when you got Godspell? I, I think it was my best friend and roommate at the time. Um, but then I definitely called home and called my family for sure. Told my mom, told my aunt. She um, told you, you messed up my shoes, but that's okay because you got on Broadway. <laughs> she didn't know I messed up her shoes. <laughs> I was sneaking. <laughs> but a good kid. <laughs> Kevin, as a working Broadway actor, what's something the average audience member wouldn't know about the actual performance? That we have what's called swings in our cast. There are understudies. And then there are swings. An understudy is a person who's in the ensemble of the show and maybe covers one, maybe two of the principals, but usually one. And a swing is a person who's not in the show every night, but they can cover anywhere from three to 12 people. Oh. And when I say cover, meaning they rem- they know their tracks. They know everybody's line, everybody's dance, dance everybody's song. Blocking. And they're usually And they're usually for ensemble members, but... Still, that makes it even more tough because they have to remember where each ensemble person stands, what vocal part they sing, what dance moves they do or don't do. And literally in the past few weeks, our swings have been on all the time. Meaning when you see those, you know, the role usually played by so-and-so and so-and-so is played by so-and-so. There are guys in our show, for instance who bounce back and forth between being drag queens and factory workers. Okay. So they're so good that they're like able to be, say, play, oh, yo, you know. Like that hard macho guy. Exactly, and, and put tattoos beautiful... on their neck. And then the next day. Feel a beautiful drag queen exactly, with the makeup on. Exactly. Kevin, my last question is, is there any advice you would give aspiring theater performers trying to make it into your shoes, so to speak? Your kinky boots. <laughs> <laughs> my advice would be simply... Be prepared, you know, learn your craft, work your craft, and believe in yourself so that you have the confidence to carry it. There's no business like show business like no business I know. I'd like to thank my guests, Kevin Smith Kirkwood and Catherine Pogson. That's your favorite uncle died at dawn. Top of that, your mind parted, your broken heart. I'd also like to thank my producer, Megan Connor. No like show they don't run out of this has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape is next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Where can you get my-